This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Amen. It is uh, good to get going today with a new um, series. Really wanted to take this first part of the year especially as we we move toward Easter and focus on something from the Gospels. And so what we're going to be doing over these next few few months, this winter and spring, is looking at Jesus' upper room discourse, which is found in John 13 through 17. And, and, And on this night in Jerusalem, Jesus takes his disciples aside to this upper room and just pours into them. That's what we're going to look at over these next few months. So it begins today. Let's turn to John chapter 13, and we're going to look at the first 17 verses of chapter 13 today, which are really about love to the uttermost. John 13 and verses 1 through 17, if you would turn there and your copy of God's Word, and always keep your, keep your Bibles open. We'll, we'll show some cross-references and things like that on screen today, but for the verses that are in our primary text in John, I want you to be, to be looking in your own Bibles and following along uh, with that. So let's look at verses 1 through 17 of John 13 as you follow along. Before the Passover festival... Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judah, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't realize now but afterward you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You were clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. This is why he said not all of you are clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, 
and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Father, we pray that you would take your word right now and that you would speak to our hearts in such a way that we would be doers of your word. And we pray not only today, but we pray that you would use this series from the Upper Room Discourse in a powerful way in our lives. This, this is some of, the, some of the deepest teaching in your, your word, and we pray that it would develop uh, greater depth in us as disciples and that we would not only grow deeper, but that we would grow wider as we take what we've learned and we share it with a world who needs Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Right in the heart of Midtown Manhattan, there's a hidden refuge. It's an unbelievably busy street right in the heart of the city with horns honking and people yelling and people in a hurry. And you, you, you walk into this little place and it's like you're, you're walking into a, a different world. It's called the Swedish Siemens Church. It's kind of a descendant of the, they, they used to call them floating churches down on the docks of Manhattan that back in the 19th century would serve uh, Scottish seamen and immigrants and things and they came in and they, there would be hot coffee and just ways to connect in the new world that they were coming into. This little church right in the middle of Manhattan is sort of a descendant of those floating churches. But you, you, you walk in off the street and you walk into this wood-paneled Room. There's a little chapel, there's a library, there's a, a coffee shop, and it's quiet, and it's like you've stepped from one world into another in this room. This section of John is kind of like that. It's Passover week in Jerusalem, which, which means that the city is just swelled with pilgrims, who are there for Passover, it's crowded. And all week long, the crowds have been surrounding Jesus, and there's been this ongoing conflict with the religious leaders. But, but on this night, Jesus takes his disciples away from all of that into the quiet of this upper room. And, and as the, the, the oil lamps flicker and burn. Jesus, the one who would pour out his blood on the cross the very next day, pours into his disciples, pours his love into them, pours some of the deepest teaching that he ever gave into them. One, one prominent scholar of the Gospel of John, Frederick Dale Bruner, describes John 13 through 17 as Jesus' discipleship course. How would you like to take a discipleship course right from, from Jesus? See, what he's doing here in these chapters, he's, he's, taking, he's taking his disciples away from the world into this room to pour into them and to equip them to go back out as disciples into the world. 
and to equip us to go into the world as disciples. So what do we see here in the first part of chapter 13? The first thing that we see is an awesome display of love. A display of love in in verses 1 through 5. Let's look at verse 1. It says, Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And you might think when you first see that, that it just means that he loved them to the end of his life. But that's not really what it's talking about here. The, the word here in the original, when it says that Jesus loved them to the end, it, it really means that he loved them perfectly. He loved them completely. He loved them to the uttermost. Look at verses 2 and 3. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. Notice who is in charge here. Jesus is totally in charge. He knows where he's come from. He knows where he's going. Everything has been given into his hands. Judas, who would betray him, is not in charge. The temple authorities who would arrest him later that evening, they're not in charge. The Romans who would crucify him the next day are not in charge. The devil is not in charge. Jesus is the one who is totally in charge of everything that is happening. And it's so important for us to remember that in trials in our lives. You belong to Jesus, He's in charge. He's not freaking out. There's no reason for you to freak out. Jesus has got it all in his hands. Verses four and and five. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel and tied it around himself. Next he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. Now, in the original uh, John just brings out the, the drama of this moment by the, 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 the tenses that he uses. I mean, literally, this says that, so he rises from supper, lays aside his outer clothing, takes a towel, ties it around himself, pours water in a basin and begins to wash his disciples' feet and dries them with the towel tied around him. I mean, they were just sitting there in stunned speechlessness. The only sound would have been maybe the sloshing of the water as Jesus goes from disciple to disciple washing their feet. They're they're sitting there just absolutely stunned. Why? Well, first of all, if if there was going to be any kind of a foot washing, it would be before supper when people first entered the room, not during supper. And second, if if, if foot washing was something that was generally reserved for the lowest of the low. In fact, Jews didn't even want their own people doing any kind of foot washing. It was something that was usually reserved for Gentiles 
and Gentile slaves at that. But here is Jesus, God incarnate, bending down and taking the position of the lowest of the low. The early Christian preacher Severion of Gabala said this in his homily on the washing of the feet. He who wraps the heavens in clouds wrapped round himself a towel. He who pours the water into the rivers and pools dip, tipped water into a basin. And he before whom every knee bends in heaven and on earth and under the earth knelt to wash the feet of his disciples. I think that Paul was reflecting on this. Surely the apostle Paul knew about this night and what Jesus had done. And I believe you, you hear echoes of this in Philippians 2. I want you to turn your Bibles to, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, and let's look there at verses 3 and, and following. Philippians 2 and beginning with verse 3. Love to hear those pages turning. Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest, but rather to the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now do you see there's a V-shape to the ministry of Jesus and we see it here in Philippians 2, we heard it in the Apostles' Creed, which we said earlier, a, a, a V-shape. So the, Jesus has enjoyed the glory of heaven for all eternity, right? He descends, he comes down to us to rescue us, assumes the position of the lowest of the low, ultimately being crucified on a cross, and then he rises from the dead and ascends to the right hand of the Father where he reigns as Lord and King. You see, there, there's a V shape to this. During the darkest days of World War II, during the Battle of Britain, Winston Churchill would flash the, the V for victory. But Jesus has won the ultimate victory, but in a way that no one would have expected. 
he assumes the position of the lowest of the low and displays his love in a stunning way. So we see here, first of all, a display of love. Second, a symbol of cleansing in verses 6 through 11. Let's look at verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? (laughs) Now, Peter's the one who says it, but you can better believe they're all thinking it. (laughs) Peter's just the one who verbalizes what they are all thinking. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And in Greek, it's even more pronounced because he puts the two pronouns back to back. Lord, you my? You see, they view what is happening as outrageous. Peter is pushing back against what he's seeing. In our pride, we find it hard to be served. Sometimes we think it's because we're being humble. It's really because of our pride. In our pride, we find it hard to be served by others, even the Lord. Sometimes especially the Lord. Verses seven and eight, Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Now Jesus is not saying here, hey Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you know, you're fired as a disciple. You're out of here. No, what Jesus is doing is he is provoking a deeper conversation. Jesus was a master at this. Read the Gospels. He's a master at, at saying things that will draw them out and provoke a, a deeper conversation that needs to be had. And so Simon Peter says to him, Lord, not only my feet, but my, my hands and my head. No, Jesus says in verse 10, one who is bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You ever um, been at the beach and, you know, you, you've, uh, you've been at the beach all day, but then you, you get ready to go to dinner. And so you take a, take a shower, a bath, you're, you're totally clean, go to dinner. But then after dinner, you take a walk on the beach, take your shoes off, walk barefoot on the beach. So before you go back into the, into the house that night, what do you do? You Wash your feet. You don't take a whole bath again. You don't need a bath. You're clean. You don't need a shower. Just, just wash, your, wash your feet. And Jesus here is bringing out a truth about our identity as disciples and a truth about discipleship. As, as followers of Christ, as those who have repented and believed on, on Jesus, we are completely clean. We have been justified. We have been made right with God. We are completely forgiven, past, present, and future. 
We're united by faith to Christ. His, his perfect righteousness has been credited to our account. Right? We're clothed in Christ. We are completely clean in the sight of God because of the work of Christ. But we still deal with the problem of indwelling sin. We, we're, we still sin. And we need to daily confess our sins to the Lord. To not to keep short accounts of, 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 of that stuff so it doesn't spiral out of control and hinder our fellowship with the Lord. And so, you know, daily confession of, of sin, daily repentance, that's just a, a part of a healthy Christian life. But, but as we confess our sins to the Lord each day, we're not doing that so that we can get back into God's good graces and stand in grace. No, you're in grace. You are completely clean as one of his children. He, he accepts you and loves you based not on your performance, which is always imperfect, but based on the performance of Christ, which is perfect. He lived the perfect life that we could never live. He died the death for sinners on the cross. And so therefore, you're completely clean. Now again, we have a hard time accepting that sometimes. Why? Again, it's because of our pride. It's because of pride. And so... It's a symbol of cleansing here as well. Third, we see here a model of Christian conduct in verses 12 through 17. Jesus is giving us a model of Christian conduct. Let's look at verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? I've shown you a new way to live. Jesus has given us a new way to live. Now, Jesus had told them this many times. When you read the four Gospels, I mean, you see passages like Matthew 20, 25, and following over and over and over again. Matthew 20 and verse 25. Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in and high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus told them things like that over and over and over again. That in God's eyes, greatness is not up, but down. That the greatest among you is the one who serves. But on this night, Jesus gives them a graphic picture that they will never be able to get out of their minds as he bends down and washes their feet. Verses 13 through 15. 
Jesus says, you, you call me teacher and Lord. And you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. D.A. Carson in his commentary on John says this, one of the ways human pride manifests itself is in refusing to take the lower role. But now that Jesus, their Lord and teacher, has washed his disciples' feet, an unthinkable act, there is every reason why they also should wash one another's feet and no conceivable reason for refusing to do so. Look again at verse 15. Jesus says, I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. The, the word example here carries the meaning of pattern. Jesus is saying here, I have, I have given you a pattern for life. That life is not about self-exalting pride but humble service, something that the apostles will echo over and over and over again in the New Testament. Peter says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. James in James 4, 6 repeats this, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Again, D.A. Carson it says, little becomes Jesus' followers more than humility. Christian zeal divorced from transparent humility sounds hollow, even pathetic. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received. How? With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, the scripture is telling us that, you know, when you feel like getting up on your high horse, get down, get low, and serve others. When, when you feel like putting on a bib and making demands, to be served, take aside, put aside the bib, take up the towel, and serve others. Notice the emphasis here on doing. There's an emphasis on doing throughout this, this passage. Verse 15, Jesus says, I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. Verse 17, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Jesus says in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Now, you can hear echoes of, of that in verse 13, when he says, you call me teacher and Lord. And you're speaking rightly since that is what I am. Jesus says you, you call me that. 
but what you call me sounds hollow and empty. When you're not doing the things that I say and doing as I have done for you. Verses 16 and and 17, truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Again, Jesus is not, he's not talking about, talking about servanthood, but serving. (laughs) Not talking about doing, but doing. Many times we hear about a brother or sister who is in need and we'll, we'll, we'll say to them, let me know if there's anything I can do for you. And listen, a lot of times that's totally well-intentioned and sincere. But let me encourage you to handle that in a slightly different way. When you know about a brother or sister in in need, instead of asking, let me know if there's anything I can do for you, because very rarely will hurting people tell you what you can do for them. That's kind of putting the burden on them to, you know, and they're already carrying the burden, right? So they're not gonna respond by say, hey, do something Do something kind for me. They're not going to do that. So instead of of saying, hey, let me know if there's anything I can do for you, just do it. Just do it. Right? Just say, "I, I am whatever it is, you know. I am bringing food by. We can, we can work out a time, but whether I'm doing it or not is not in question. Gonna do it. Right? Gonna bring a gift card or, you know, come by and take the kids or whatever it is that needs to be done. Like, just do it. Just do it. Jesus says in verse 17 that you're, you're blessed if you do these things, right? The word blessed here means happy because instead of what the world thinks about this. It's the opposite. The way that you find happiness and fulfillment is is not by making life all about you and seeking to be served. It's making life all about him and seeking to serve others in his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us a record of what happened in this upper room. That it could impact your people throughout the ages. And we thank you that you're using it in our lives today. We thank you for this precious part of your word. We pray that you would use it over these next few months to take us deeper into you deeper into your love. Lord, help us to look away from ourselves 
Help us to look up to you in faith and out to others in love, beginning with the people that we're around every day. Lord, make us, give us servant hearts. Give us your heart. Give us your eyes to see needs. Make us doers of your word. Could be that you're here or you're watching today or it could be at a point in the future and you're not sure that you know Christ you can know him. I want to invite you to know him. Jesus says, turn to me. Trust me. Turn away from trying to do life your own way apart from me. Turn to me. Trust that he's a savior who shed his blood for your sins and rose from the dead and has defeated death. Give your life over into his hands. You can know him. You can experience new life. You can experience forgiveness. And life can begin to come together and make sense. But turn to Jesus and trust him right now. If you already know Christ, if you were already a disciple of Christ, what a challenge this passage is. We've got a new year stretching out before us. Is it going to be about you or is it going to be about him? Is it going to be about looking inward and <laughs> making life about yourself? Or is it going to be about looking up to God in faith and out to others in love and seeking to serve in his name? Lord, we, we, we pray that as we savor your teaching, um, that it's not just going to be building up knowledge of who you are, but Lord, that knowledge is going to be applied. As Jesus says, now that you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Lord, may we experience the blessing of living this new way of life that you have given to us. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, 
God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia.